Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Jude, verse 20 and 21. I'll be reading from the ESV. Hear the word of the Lord. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to come before you, the Son, and the Spirit this morning. We thank you for this Lord's Day, this day that the body of Christ can gather together, a day that we can gather together to worship through singing and sitting under your word preached. As we worship through giving and even as we worship through our fellowship, recounting all of the ways in which you have been good and faithful this week. We thank you so much for your word and how you have blessed us with this revelation. Thank you that you have spoken so clearly to us and in such ways that we understand how sufficient, how more than adequate, how substantial, how riveting, how immeasurable this word is. And we pray now, Father, as you speak to us through your word, that you would show us truths, that you would help us to think on this week. That as we go throughout each day, we would be reminded of these things that you would have us take with us. And these things that you would have us apply to our lives so that we might live more faithfully. So that we might look more like your son, our savior. We thank you. For these things, and it's in his name we pray, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Well, this should come as no surprise uh, to you, what I'm about to say. This is not a, uh, a scandalous statement or controversial. I don't believe any of you will be shocked when I say that this world we live in is sick with sin. Another week, another tragedy, another week, another news cycle with endless stories of hurting people suffering at the hands of those who are devoted to commit acts of evil. We are politicians grandstanding, we are actors, entertainers, and sports figures pontificating, yet nothing changes. Another week, another tragedy, another week, another news cycle with Endless stories of hurting people suffering at the hands of those who are devoted to commit acts of evil. 
Do we need more laws? Maybe we need more policies. Could it be we just need more awareness? Another flag, maybe another bumper sticker, another organization, cause, another movement that makes headlines and gets people excited. Those things have all been tried, right? Tried to provide solutions, but they don't seem to work because another week, another tragedy, another week, another news cycle with endless stories of hurting people, suffering at the hands of those who are devoted to commit acts of evil. And unfortunately, these acts of evil are not limited to outside the church. Just this past week, a, a large denomination released a, a, a document, a report with allegations made against pastors and church leaders who are reported to be guilty of abuse. Abuse that is oftentimes against their own church members. And this report confirmed what Scripture lays out for us already. Sometimes wolves disguise themselves as sheep and commit acts of evil that harm people and bring shame to the body of Christ. So what's the solution for this world that is sick with sin? What's the solution for combating the sin that even creeps inside the walls of the church? Thankfully, God's Word gives us the answer. So I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to take it and turn with me to the tiny book of Jude. It's actually a letter. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's in the very back, just one book before the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So we have Bibles close by under your seats. I would encourage you to take one of those and, and thumb back to this tiny little most books, most of your Bibles, it's one page. Jude gives us the solution to these issues by equipping the church to fight sin. I'm confident that to the degree we follow his instruction, we will see sin minimized. In other words, the more closely we follow Jude's command, the less sin will be a problem amongst the people of God. Put another way, as obedience to Jude's command goes up, our struggle with sin goes down. That's not just good news for the church, that's good news for the world at large, right? Because if the world follows the same instruction, we will see the same thing happen. Look again with me at, at verses 20 and 21 of Jude. Jude says, but you, beloved, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The purpose of Jude's letter was to provide pastoral counsel to a church that was under siege. If you're familiar with Jude's letter, you'll remember what he says near the beginning he says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He goes on, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were, were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality 
and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So if the church that Jude was writing to is to contend for the faith. If they were to weather the storm, if, if they were going to shield themselves from the threat that had crept into the church, they were only going to be able to do it by obeying Jude's command to keep themselves in the love of God. It, it's interesting that Jude would command the church to keep themselves in the love of God. A statement like that could be mistaken for works righteousness, right? And if we didn't know better, we might think Jude was encouraging the church to do something that the rest of the New Testament tells us only God can do. We know Jude is is not teaching salvation by works because of the way that he opens this letter. Flip back to verse 1 and notice who he addresses his letter to. To those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So when Jude instructs the church to keep themselves in the love of God, he's speaking to Christians who are already kept by God for Jesus Christ. Jude helps us to see something very clearly and completely about the Christian life. That is, not our contribution towards salvation, because there, there is none, but our participation in our sanctification. In the same letter, Jude nails down two doctrinal truths that are foundational to our faith. Here's the first one. God saves sinners by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the second. Those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 1b, right? This letter is written to those who by God, are kept for Jesus Christ. Salvation, that is God's work alone. It also shows up at the end of the letter. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So we see at the beginning and at the end of this letter the saving work of keeping that God does for sinners. And in verse 21a, we see our participation in faith once we're saved. Look at it. Those who are kept for Jesus Christ are to, hear Jude's words, keep yourselves in the love of God. So tragedy had struck the church, and Jude was telling this group of people that his letter was addressed to how they were to respond. If keeping yourselves in the love of God is vital to the mission of the church, and it is, then how do you do it? How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Jude provides three ways, and they're surrounding the main clause, which is the command to keep yourselves in the love of God. Three ways. The the first one is there at the beginning of verse 20. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. The second is seen right after that. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And the third comes after the main clause to keep yourselves in the love of God. We see it in the second half of verse 21 waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So if you're taking notes, I have three points today, and they follow those phrases surrounding the command to keep yourselves in the love of God. And here's the first point, kept by building. Kept by building. We keep ourselves and and we are kept by building. So if we're going to follow 
Jude's command, keep yourselves in the love of God. We have to follow his instruction to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Notice the intentionality that we're called to as Christians. We're charged to build ourselves up. Once we're saved, we're called to build upon the foundation provided for us by Christ Jesus. Does this challenge how you think about your faith? I know for me, as a young Christian, I used to have this expectation that even in my sanctification, God was responsible for everything. So maybe you were like me, whether in an area of sin or an area of growth, area that I wanted to see growth, my prayers would often reveal that I believed my part to play in fighting sin or in growing as a believer was minimal, if anything at all, and that God's role was primary. But that's not the picture Jude is painting. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jude was moved to instruct the church that they were to be actively working and building up their lives. This imagery of construction here is something we can all relate to, right? You cannot drive down the road without seeing a new mall going up or shopping strip or, or a, a house some, somewhere. Uh, we see construction all the time. Before going off to seminary, I, I worked for an insurance agent in Clarksville, Georgia. Uh, and uh, we had this customer who was a, a contractor. Uh, he would come in all the time. I, I loved Larry. Larry was, I had so much fun talking with Larry. Um, but uh, he was an old country builder, and, and he would come in to take out what is called a builder's risk policy. So it's just an insurance policy that covers the structure while it's under construction. Um, and, and Larry built a ton of single-story homes, a lot of little 1,500-square-foot starter homes. And um, Larry would often tell me that he had a dream, and it wasn't just to keep building single-story starter homes. He wanted to build what he called a high-rise. And, uh, and I always was struck by this dream. I mean, for a, for a country builder, it seemed a little unusual to have this aspiration to build a high-rise, but Larry wanted to build a high-rise. And one day, he told me about this dream so many times, and, and so one day, I just paused and said, Larry, let's hear it. Shoot me straight. Give me all of the information on this high-rise. And he, he informed me that because there aren't any high-rises in Clarksville, he'd probably have to build it down in Gainesville. Um, but uh, he wanted it to be nine stories. Why nine stories? I'm not sure. I should have asked him. I, still, I think about that all the time. Um, but he wanted to build a high-rise. And, and just how encouraging is that, right? For, for a country builder whose lot in life is to build single-story small homes, to want to build something that comes up out of the ground and just goes and goes, well, for nine stories at least, right? He wasn't happy. He wasn't content just sitting around building those same homes. He wanted to go up. And it, it has to be the same for us as followers of Jesus, right? In a sense, we should all be like Larry, desiring to build high-rises right, with our lives. As Jude would put it, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. We're not just to build ourselves up for the sake of building, and, and we're not building ourselves up using any and every set of blueprints. No, Jude gives us the blueprints, which also provide the motivation 
for why we are to build ourselves up. Look at the second half of the instruction. Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. The blueprints are provided and they are our most holy faith. So our most holy faith is to guide the construction of our lives. It's not some run-of-the-mill faith. It is our faith, the faith that has captivated us, the faith that has saved us, the faith that continually points us to Christ and the faith that encourages us to daily persevere. Not only is it our faith, it is our most holy faith. This faith is from God. It is holy. Listen now, one commentator speaks of our most holy faith and, and how we build ourselves up in it. He says, This faith is most holy because it comes from the holy God. And Christian growth occurs through the mind as believers grow in their understanding of God's word and of Christian truth. Jude did not think that growth occurred mystically or mysteriously. Instead, believers experience God's love as their understanding of the faith increases. Affection for God increases not through bypassing the mind, but by means of it. So very practically, how do we come to know this most holy faith? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul like Jude, is using building language. The way we are built up in our most holy faith is by knowing the message of the apostles and the prophets. So if we're going to be built up in our most holy faith, it will be through us learning and living out God's word together. It's no surprise Jude would say that the result of focusing on our most holy faith results in our being built up. Listen to this summary statement of God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We build ourselves up by studying God's Word and spending time considering and cherishing, cherishing the doctrines of our faith. Many of us are involved in Bible study here at Trinity throughout the week. Have you looked at your participation in those studies as one of the ways that you are building yourself up in your most holy faith? What about your time here on Sunday morning in worship? One of the ways that we are building ourselves up in our most holy faith is by doing what we're doing right now, right here. Increasingly, what we do here on Sunday mornings is looking more and more bizarre to the world. Devoting time each Lord's Day to gather together to worship by singing and, and worship by engaging with preaching is one of the ways that we are building ourselves up in our most holy faith. 
And this is something that we must commit to. No, it may seem like a small thing. I'm convinced that what we're doing here this morning is the most important thing that we will do this week. The gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day is integral to our building ourselves up. So if we are building ourselves up, we would expect to see some progress. The Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world at 200 stories and over 2,700 feet. The structural record setter obviously was not built in one day, right? It took six years to build this tower. And uh, it's interesting, you can go on YouTube, there, there's a time-lapse video that captures the six years in 44 seconds. And uh, what, what you come to realize is that the building ends up at the end of six years being taller than it was at the, the beginning of year one, right? The, the architect, the, the builders, they had plans, How silly would it have been for them to say at the end of year one, you know what, I think we're done. They they knew that in order to complete the the plans, complete the building, that they had to keep going. They had to keep building. So that at the end of six years, it looked different than it did at the end of year one. So can we see growth as we are being built up? Not only personally, that, that is important, but as a church, how are we growing and helping each other to grow? Is what we're learning from both personal and group studies shaping our conversations and our relationships? If so, then we are working to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. One of the ways that we keep ourselves in the love of God is by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Another way that Jude instructs us to keep ourselves in the love of God is by praying. The second point is kept by praying. We continue to see that a life which is kept in the love of God is one that is disciplined in Bible study, but also in prayer. Aren't we thankful that God expects simple things from us. So far, we've been instructed to embrace our faith and to draw near to God through Bible study and prayer. These are simple things. Notice I said simple and not easy. I think there's a distinction between the two. Some of the greatest giants of our faith have remarked on how difficult it can be to be disciplined in Bible study and prayer. Well-known missionary and founder of the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor, said about prayerful Bible study, listen, Satan will always find you something to do. When you ought to be occupied about that, about Bible study and prayer, if it is only arranging a window blind, right? We've all been there. We've had the best of intentions, got that cup of coffee, got the Bible open, we're sitting there in the quiet of the morning, and, and all of a sudden, Something just crosses our mind, and we think, ooh, I really need to do that. We get up, and we do that one little thing, and the next thing we know, an hour or two has passed, and our motivation for study and prayer is gone, right? This is coming from Hudson Taylor. So he, he himself, a man devoted to prayer and Bible study, knew what we all go through. 
So can you relate to what Hudson Taylor is saying? Again, it is so easy to get distracted. And that's what makes keeping ourselves in the love of God difficult. Bible, Bible study and prayer are, are simple, but oftentimes they can be anything but easy. And even though praying may not be easy for us to do, it is simple and we should not complicate it. Right? I feel like oftentimes people don't pray because they think it has to be some masterful, eloquent speech. One example of just how simple prayer is can be found in the account of Moses' prayer for his sister's healing. Miriam and Aaron had wrongly spoken against Moses, and the Lord judged Miriam by striking her with leprosy. Moses, God's prophet, who the Lord spoke to face to face, who witnessed the burning bush. Moses, who led Israel out of exile. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. This Moses, could you imagine his prayers and how eloquent they must have been? Listen to his prayer from Numbers chapter 12, verse 13. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. That's it. O oh God, please heal her, please. If you don't pray because you think it's difficult, Moses shows us how simple and easy it can be. I think what we'll find is we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying, our prayer life will develop. I think that development is anticipated by Jews' instruction to not only pray, but to pray in the Holy Spirit. So what is Jude referring to here? Is there a distinction between simply praying and praying in the Holy Spirit? Is he talking about praying in tongues? Is it possible to, to pray and not pray in the Holy Spirit? I think this phrase makes sense when we understand the distinction that Jude is making between the believers that he's writing to and the people causing the division in the church. Look, look back a few verses to Jude 17. But you must remember, he says, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Judas saying, you who are keeping yourself in the love of God are not to be like uh, the others that are causing the problems in the church. Why? Because you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Jude points out the distinction there in verse 19. Those who are causing divisions are devoid of the Spirit, and those who are keeping themselves in the love of God are living by the Spirit. And this living by the Spirit is to even be recognized in the prayers of God's people. The people who Jude is, is showing us we're not to be like are marked by the fact that they are living in and by the flesh. Those who are keeping themselves in the love of God are living in and by the Holy Spirit. And every part of their lives should reflect this, even their prayers. Charles Spurgeon had some helpful insights on what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. He said, I am to understand from the expression praying in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Ghost is actually willing to help me to pray. 
that he will tell me how to pray, and that when I get to a point where I am at a pause and cannot express my desires, he will appear in my extremity and make intercession in me with unexpressed groanings. So Spurgeon is referring to Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it makes sense why Jude would tell us to pray in the Holy Spirit. Living in and by the Holy Spirit produces prayers that are prayed in the Holy Spirit. If we as Christians have access to God the Father by praying in the Holy Spirit, then why wouldn't we? Why would we not take every opportunity that we can to take advantage of this phenomenal access that we have to God? But how do we pray in the Holy Spirit? Jude is not referring to some mystical formula. He's not saying there's a a method or pattern. No, what Jude is referring to here is a posture of the heart. It is believers who realize we are called to pray and who also realize that we need God's help even in the simplest of tasks. And it's the Holy Spirit who Jesus referred to as the helper that will help us in our praying. So Christians are led by the Spirit. We must be sensitive to the Spirit. How many times have you been spurred to pray for someone and not known how to pray for them? God the Spirit knows and is ready and willing to assist you. Think back to Moses' prayer for Miriam. In desperation, he cried out to God. He didn't need to tell God what to heal Miriam from. God knew because he's the one who struck her, right? He didn't need to articulate why he was asking for the healing or why God should even listen to him. The Spirit of God was able to do all of these things on his behalf. In preaching, one of the jobs of the pastor is to draw out how the passage applies to our lives. Jude does that for us in these verses. The application is the instruction. The way we apply the truths found in these verses is simply by doing what Jude is calling the recipients of the letter to do. I was reminded of an example of uh, a man in church history who did exactly what Jude was talking about here. He, he prayed in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are familiar with the Scottish reformer minister, John Knox. Uh, he was a contemporary of, of Mary, Queen of Scots. Listen to Mary's quote um, with respect to John Knox and his prayer life. And Mary, Queen of Scots, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Friends, that's what praying in the Holy Spirit does. It makes kings and queens shiver in their boots. So, if you want to be keeping yourself in the love of God, do it by praying in the Holy Spirit. Isn't it incredible that one of the things we're called to as believers 
is to talk to our Creator. One of the ways that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God is by regularly talking with Him, and, and doing that is those who are living in and by the Spirit. So we're, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting. And the third and final point this morning is kept by waiting. Look again at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting seems like such a, a passive thing to be called to do. We see how building is, is good and, and productive. We see how praying is good and productive, but waiting? Building and praying are activities that those of us who are results-driven can really buy into. Right? We can see the, the effect, the result of the, doing those things. But, but what about waiting? For some of us, waiting is incredibly difficult. We feel like we're wasting our time or being unproductive, but have you ever thought about waiting as being something that is biblical? We see right here in Jude that believers are called to wait. The Bible doesn't endorse all types of waiting. There, there could be some waiting that is a complete waste of time. For instance, the musician John Mayer wrote about waiting in his song, Waiting on the World to Change. It is possible to wait for some things that simply won't happen. So, so that kind of waiting is futile. But there is a specific waiting that we are called to because this waiting will most assuredly be satisfied. Biblical waiting is waiting that is defined by anticipation for the return of Jesus. Have you ever spent much time thinking about why the return of Christ will be so glorious? We sang about it just a little bit ago. Why is it that Jude would call these weary Christians to wait for the return of Jesus? Look at what Jude is specifically calling us to wait for. It's the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. One of the greatest realities of the Christian life is that Jesus offers us mercy. Jude is calling the Christian to, to meditate on the gospel. Why do we need mercy? What is so significant about the mercy that Jesus provides? It is the greatest need of every human being. The mercy Jesus provides is the mercy that we cannot obtain on our own. The mercy Jesus provides is the mercy that saves us from the wrath of God against our sin. And the mercy Jesus provides is complete and not lacking in anything. The mercy Jesus provides is worth waiting for. So friend, if you're here this morning and... and this sounds bizarre to you, this, this waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds odd because you've never placed your faith in Christ. I, I beg you to do that this morning. I, I ask you, if you've never taken the step of faith, trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin, 
implore you to do that. And in that, in doing that, you will understand what comes next, and that is this idea that Jude is talking about here this morning, keeping yourself in the love of God. Jude's wording here could could cause us to wonder why this mercy is spoken of as something to come. It could cause us to wonder if we don't already have access to mercy. Jude's choice of wording here reminds us of how Paul speaks of salvation. Paul speaks to the fact that we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And it's the same with the mercy of Christ that Jude is referring to here. If we are in Christ... We have experienced mercy from God. We are presently experiencing mercy from God, and we will one day experience mercy from God. So it's when we see the Lord Jesus Christ that we will know mercy completely. Most waiting is passive, but waiting on Christ is active. Another name for this kind of waiting is perseverance. We as Christians, we can persevere in this life because of the prize that we know that we have waiting for us at the return of Christ. So waiting on the return of Christ is a theme throughout the New Testament and, and one that is picked up by multiple writers. This tells us that to be a Christian is to be one who is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So is your life marked by waiting? Are you persevering with hopeful anticipation of the return of Christ when you will encounter his mercy that leads to eternal life? Friends, this waiting is oftentimes not easy. It's easy when there is a job promotion, when things are going right in the home, when there's a new child born or a grandbaby born. Waiting on Christ in those situations is easy, but what about when life is difficult? Just uh, yesterday, um, Joni received a text from one of our friends uh, in Fayetteville, dear friends of ours from the church that we served uh, prior to coming here. And um, Pam relayed to us that her husband, Ron, had, had died from cancer. And we had known about this battle for, for a while, but um, it, it happened rather quickly um, that he went to be with the Lord. And so I texted her and, and um, sent my condolences and told her that we were praying for her. And she replied and just said, I'm hurting. June 10th would have been 50 years for them. And uh, so at this time in her life, Pam is finding it difficult to wait and that's why I said earlier, and I say it again, this keeping ourselves in the love of God is not a solo project, right? This is group work. Yes, we do it personally. We do these things personally, but, but we also come together in these things, right? Pam, right now, more than any other time in her life, needs Fayetteville First Baptist Church to come around her and help her to wait on the mercy of Lord Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. Friends, we will all be there at some point. We need each other. 
That is the job of the church, right? To help each other keep ourselves in the love of God. So again, this is not solo work. This is a group project. In thinking about how we're building, we need to be thinking about how we're helping our fellow church members and regular attenders to build themselves up too. As we're thinking about how we're praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to be seeking opportunities to pray in the Holy Spirit with our fellow, fellow church members and regular attenders. And as we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, we need to be actively waiting with our brothers and sisters who are finding it difficult to wait. Jude was calling the church to contend for the faith. And the way that they were to do that is detailed in his instructions to build, pray, and wait. But if we do these things, we will be doing what's necessary to follow Jude's command to keep ourselves in the love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the encouragement it brings us. Thank you that you give us this vision of what we are to be about, a people who are keeping ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit. by waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Father, I pray if anyone is here today and prior to this message they have not placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, I, I pray now for them. If they are wrestling, I, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would open their hearts and their minds, give them eyes to see, ears to hear, Keep the enemy far from them, Father. I pray, Father, that you would radically change their lives. Give them a new heart. And help them to cherish Christ as their Savior and Lord. Father, we thank you for this time we've had to, to worship this morning through singing and hearing the word preached. And I pray as we hang around in fellowship, that again, we would be encouraged and that we would find ourselves applying this, this passage that you've given us, even in this time of fellowship following the service. Father, help us to keep ourselves in your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.